Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sounded Vision is sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They're a Seattle-based, full-service, wholesale coffee roaster and retailer with over 25 years of experience. Fulcrum's three unique brands are unified in simple, earnest, and grounding principles. I've been on a single-source bean from Fulcrum from the Congo, and it's incredible. Fulcrum is giving a special offer to Sound and Vision listeners. If you use the code ALFREDSTUDIO, all one word, when checking out, you'll get 20% off your order of coffee. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Matt Bollinger received his BFA from the Kansas City Art Institute and his MFA from the Rhode Island School of Design. His work has been exhibited in solo shows in New York, Los Angeles, Paris, and London. Recent museum exhibitions have been at the South Bend Museum of Art in 2020, the Schneider Museum in 2018, and the Musée d'Art Moderne in Contemporain and Saint-Étienne Metropole in 2016. Residencies include the Seven Bellow Arts Initiative in Burlington, Vermont, the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, and the Sharp Walenta Studio Program in Brooklyn. In 2016, he received a NIFA grant in painting, and he's represented by Zercher Gallery and Mother's Tank Station, and lives and works in New York State. I spoke to Matt about Kansas City Starts, playing the cello and pretty well, painting and animation in the link between, his just-closed Dynamite solo show at Zercher Gallery, and much more. Here's our conversation. Are you? But where? Where are you now? You're in the city. I'm in. I'm in Ithaca. Uh, You're in Ithaca. Okay. Yeah. Because my uh, my partner teaches at Cornell. Um, she got this sweet tenure track research position. Um, so we moved up here. Uh, she's in landscape architecture. So they they uh, uh, require their studios meet like three times a week. So um, right. with multiple classes, she has classes almost every day, and. Uh, yeah, it was kind of getting unreasonable to have her <laughs> driving. Right. Up. Yeah. Commuting. Yeah. Well, how far are you from where you're teaching? It it's about it's a, it's less than four hours. Um, okay. But I, I so I drive down. I have st- I stack up my days and I drive down and then I uh, I sleep on a friend's couch who's who's very kind to me and uh, lives in White Plains, which is near school, and uh, it works out okay. But right now it's remote, so. Um, I have a little little window without too much commuting. Yeah. Well, here's here's what I've garnered off the internet and what I know so far, other than I really like your paintings and your work, <laughs> um, is that you now I know that you commute almost four hours to teach. I teach at Penn State, but I'm based in Brooklyn, just under four hours. Um, you do painting and animation, and you supposedly like sound and music, and you're... You know, I, I think there's enough here to, to 
<laughs> enough parallels to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't realize you were you were traveling that far. You're you're ba- it's it's a very similar uh, drive, I imagine. Sorry, yeah. sorry for you though. <laughs> oh, I love driving. Well, oh, you do. I'm remote. Yeah, I'm remote. I had a course release before um, the the shortened semester where we all went to spring break and never came back. Mm-hmm. And then I've got sabbatical next year, so I'm oh nice for now. Like I'm blissfully like escaping that commute for a little while. But although I do love driving and this podcast wouldn't exist if I wasn't commuting there and listening to podcasts and thinking like, why aren't there long ones with artists like this? You know? Yeah, for sure. I do. I do very long novels. I'm like, what's the longest novel there uh, is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it easier. So you don't have to keep turning over content all the time. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I, I don't want to be aware of the time passing. I want to know that I'm in the middle of like a 44 hour audiobook and it's going to take me several commutes to finish it so I just get lost I mean a lot of the literary novels I like are terrific but they're like six hours long and it doesn't even it's not even a there and back (laughs) so I'm finishing it oh wow you're yeah that's a long that's a sort of that's impressive because I will listen to a podcast where it's like three hours and I'll think oh this is great you know and if I listen to one that's like 30 minutes I'm like that's too short but Mm -hmm. But you're going for the deep cut with that. I'm the next extreme. You're talking weeks of like a commute with one book, right? Yeah, because I, I'll, I, what I, because I listen to them in the in the studio too. I like to, not when I'm animating, but when I'm painting, I like to listen to to audiobooks. It just like shuts off the inner critic voice right. that tells yeah, me not yeah. to do everything. Instead, I'm just like that part just goes and has a good time reading the book, and then the the paint brain goes off in the other <laughs> direction. So yeah, I don't want to like get you know whatever 10 hours into the book and then i go into my commute and it's it's gone in an hour and i i just don't want to let it go i love i love uh uh i don't know when i when i get into a book i like um feeling i can trust it you know it's like there's that place i can go um that i want to go i mean i'm i mean i guess this is more like escapist reading but um i think i think you can have you can have i can have my escapism and still have uh good good content um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And isn't it funny that uh, we once paid to have people turn on our painting brain and keep criticizing us, and now we pay other people to take our brain away from <laughs> Yeah, just shut it off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I don't need it right now. Like, there's too much going on. I need to shut off the painter brain and just go into, like, bliss mode. Totally. No, I still have all those, I don't know about you, I, I have undergraduate professors who are dead in my brain telling me criticisms about, you know, like repeating <laughs> criticisms from 1999. Uh, they don't apply anymore, but they're still, uh, they're still around. Well, I mean, we could go deeper. I have that from my parents or my dad, you know, don't do this or don't do that, you know, and then I end up telling my kid the same thing. So it's, yeah, those, those, um, and as a teacher, you would probably feel this too. When you, those seeds that are planted that last forever, I like wonder if, some of the things that I, the drums that I beat to my students of like, you got to do that, you know, you got to be in there working. And if, if that seed is planted for them too, I hope it doesn't become traumatic. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I try not to, I try to be aware of the, the traumatic lessons imparted <laughs> when right. I was, when I was younger and not repeat them, but it's hard. It's, I mean, it is like parenting. Uh, cause I'm, I find myself, that's even more scary cause I'll find myself directly like, Oh my God, I'm my father. I have to, I have to stop. I have to not do this this way. Um, 
but you know, t- I don't know if you feel this, but um, the my students are. I mean, I the academia or the art school is so different now than when I was in school. The hundred percent. The 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 arguments and the conversations are are so much are just completely changed. It's it's so much less of a, a simple polarity. I I was I was uh, always having to get into debates about representation and abstraction it was just a, it seemed Remember so that? that just seemed so stupid right. <laughs> but people felt very yeah. passionately about it I know it's it's a whole different I remember you know it was funny because when I was in grad school I wasn't even using the computer it just looked loosely looked computery and people were offended <laughs> you know what I mean like I remember one crit one of my favorite teachers she was kind of I only had a couple like supporters, people who were sort of behind me. And she would always say, I don't really know what he's doing, but I think that he's on to something. I think it's good. But everyone was, I was like, no, no, this is too way too future looking. It's funny because it, it, you know, now it's, it's accepted. Like there's new media with, you know, we're teaching, I teach digital painting this semester, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, and uh, I've been doing that too. And I do, animation and I teach animation now um that is, that is a nice thing about my job is they've they've really like made space for me to create these courses that are really close to um my interests and so there wasn't an animation class in our painting department at all until uh I just started making animations and then uh they had a weird amount of faith in me that I'd be able to also teach it um <laughs> right right and uh but it but it's working out and it's it's super fun and it means that yeah all those not just the boundary between digital and uh analog uh becomes very porous but uh the the old debate between like illustration uh and fine art is it just is all dissolved i it's such an I mean, it's kind of a relief to not have to to just like I don't know get to the human stuff that I that I think interests me far more. Definitely, and it's like when you come across the inevitable faculty has been around for like two hundred years, and they have those antiquated ideas of silos and stuff. It feels like the racist grandpa or something. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like, oh, if really, you still we're still going to believe that stuff, but feel bad it's just yeah it's completely changed and shifted um but here's the, the one thing i really wanted to 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 get into with you is um in thinking i'm sure you've thought about this when you think about sort of like quote unquote fine art like working in galleries and stuff how minimal animation is in that realm how it rarely operates in sort of the art mode you know what i mean it's always or not always most of the time it's got narrative, it's got this connection to whatever. I mean, it makes sense because I guess that's the history. Well, not necessarily, but, you know, a lot of the history of it is in that realm. But it's interesting how few people do it in that setting, don't you think? Yeah, I totally think that. Um, and I sometimes when I talk about my work, at like when I visit other schools, there's it's, the students are really excited because they, you know, they're, they're uh, not hung up in the same way that maybe my generation is but um they're they always ask like who are your favorite animators and i'm like i don't even know there's i mean i could name a few um yeah but they're not necessarily artists i mean like fine you know they're not making work for the for the gallery world they are artists but um right. you know aside from like i mean there's one william kentridge and natalie gerberg and you know, there's just not that many people who are doing that and it seems so strange because it's such a 
uh, a rich medium, and it's it so naturally adheres different kinds of making and thinking together in a way that uh, is is like other art forms. I mean, it's like right. insulation and and other things that pull pull together disparate bits into a cohesive. Uh, something experience. Um, so yeah, I think it's totally weird. And I, I often feel conflicted with my own stuff, even though all my paintings are narrative. Um, occasionally I'll make a video and I'll just be like, should this just go to festivals or something? I'm like, I don't know anything about that. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. also a weird thing. Um, so I just persist in trying to exhibit them. Um, I mean, maybe it's good. Maybe that's good for me that like, there isn't that big of a, uh, the competition, the bar is low. <laughs> right, so, uh, right. The expectations are, are are kind of cloudy because it's not really happening there, you know? Yeah, totally. No, I think that's... Uh, it, it, it's, it's funny because when I first showed an animation, it was in 2002, and it was in a show of mine, and it was just a small, quote-unquote, flat screen, but, you know, it was like... It was pretty... It was a small monitor, but it was pretty thick, and there was just a little animation on it, you know? And... um but nowadays, to the point of it being more accessible and that that sort of argument is like, is this fine art or is this, you know, that's kind of gone. It's so easy to show the work now, too, because TVs, monitors, projections, all that stuff is so accessible. So it's not even like that's a challenge, really. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, making them, you know, not having to shoot on film and or, you know, have expensive cameras and stuff like that. Um, right. Yeah. So we I don't know. Maybe we'll see. We'll see more of it. Um, it'd be cool. I mean, I I, I love watching them, um, um, but I I think I watch I watch a lot more film than I do. Like, there's just it's also hard to find. Like when when someone is really in, immersed in the gallery world, you often can't, it's hard to find the material online to actually watch. Or you, I mean, if you miss the show, you're out of luck. Um, right. But I feel like yeah, that's changing that's a little bit too. Like people are starting to. Maybe maybe the gallery model for video or for animation anyway is starting to evolve um, because people like to I, I like it because you can just you can send it anywhere. So I have uh, compressed versions of my all of my projects on the Internet, on my website and stuff. Um, yeah, it, it, it opens up showing to, you know, I've been lucky enough to show animations in like storefronts in Australia and from Times Square to like, you know, trains in Japan and all over the place. And you can never do that with painting. Now, I didn't start animating thinking that. It was just kind of a nice byproduct, you know? It's like, oh, I could just send a file. Yeah, it's awesome. I've seen your uh, uh, Times Square piece. Um, yeah, I was thinking that. It's just like, um, also, it's kind of perfect for you because of the the way you can kind of in, uh, insert the work into like a huge space, like an urban space that might be... right you know, in the work, in the, in the, in the paintings, in the imagery. Yeah. Do you, and this is a brass tacks question, but do you edition animations? Yeah, I'm still learning about that, but yes, we do, we do small editions, uh, yeah. for them. And it's weird, right? It is weird. At first because I felt it's like, a file. <laughs> yeah, it's a file, um, and a certificate. Um, and at first I felt like, uh, you know, I needed to make an extra thing like the. I do. I had some. Hand, I do it. I did the handmade box thing for yep. a little while, but the uh, my woodworking skills are only so good. So I feel like I need to. I'm. I've been rethinking it. So some of the recent ones, uh, it's simpler. It's like 
more archival. Uh, it's like just a good Pelican case uh, right. with a with a certificate. Um, I was realized the boxes I was making. Uh, it was like it looked cool, but I don't know if I would want to like. Uh, I'm not sure how long. I, I shouldn't say this. I'm not sure how long it should it could be stored <laughs> in that. So it's like you put the box in its own box, and then you put the the hard drive in it in the Pelican case. Uh, right. And it's just how things get out. Like I did a show in Berlin and there were animations and paintings of portraits, right? And in the show, there were plinths with uh, iPods that just, it was a slideshow of like, of my portraits on them. They're iPods with like a scroll wheel and they were like in a JBL speaker stand. And they're so outdated, but I still have like none of them sold, like no one bought them. (laughs) And so I have these vintage iPods that are engraved on the back with the edition on it. It's such a cool thing so even though it's super dated like if i actually you know if someone had one of those i would think it would be cool just to have that kind of outdated thing you know as an object i i think you have to think it's cool because i mean with the alternative is to to constantly be replacing (laughs) i mean the speed of obsolescence with technology you know is so fast um i even worry about that with my like best best effort to make something that's going to last for uh, you know some number of years um but yeah, it's so weird. Um, I love. I think that. that's why I do the the works with it. Like I'll do either a collage or a drawing. I'll change it up each time. But if I do like an edition of five, they'll get an original piece of work that just is different than everything else. So at least that way, I feel like they're they're getting something, you know, other than just a foul. And I know it's like the NFT thing where it's like, well, you have you could show people I own an edition of this. And, but you can watch it on YouTube, which is weird. So at least if you have artwork with it, you feel like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, something more than just, you know, a flash drive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think about that, too. So you do it like a different drawing for each one. It's just a something handmade. Like so the, the yes. edition of five, they'll each get like kind of related, but different drawings. Sometimes like with drawings, it'll be different. Or if it's a collage, that's pretty you know, intricate, I'll just, I can do an edition of five, almost like a print or something, but mm-hmm. they're actually cut out. So it's just something that's, you know, fun and different, you know, I feel like that's the least I can do for, <laughs> which is funny because it ends up being more work than just a collage, yet it's the collages are more quote unquote unique, you know, <laughs> anyways, it's a big thing. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about like, uh, did you, you grew up in Kansas City? Yeah, I did. Uh, and I'll, I'll say I'll specify in Missouri, uh, just because it even even oh, right. still yeah. comes up. Uh, I'll just be I don't know, something will be written and it'll pop up and say Kansas. It just confuses people who aren't from there. Um, right. But yeah, I grew up I grew up uh, in and around Kansas City, mostly in a suburb called Gladstone, um, which, yeah, it was a, it's a place in the world. <laughs> right. I feel like I can maybe um it's a it's a leap of faith or i shouldn't make the connection but i feel like the iconography the imagery in your work and the sort of scenes and stuff i'm just in my mind i'm connecting that to your youth in some way like if i Mm -hmm. see a painting of a walmart i'm thinking okay maybe in kansas city in the suburbs or wherever you were that was kind of like what you saw you know what i mean you're kind of painting something that resonates with your history of growing up but I don't that might not totally not be the case no that's definitely a part of it um I mean I I think of all the work is most of the work is fictional even when it's based on uh I'll I'll do interviews with people generally family members and that uh I'll still think of those as being 
fictional because I drawing and painting things is just such a uh, it's like it can't how can you make a realistic I mean unless it's direct directly observed it just feels like it's an innately fictionalizing process for me um, right. so like that the Walmart is certainly it's like that's where you could get that's where I got all my clothes when I was growing up until (laughs) until I got old enough and then it was I would just go to thrift stores um but uh I would I also went to a couple of box stores around here when I was researching that piece and just like looked um like and it looked at the uh kind of I guess they call it like the entertainment center like the place where they have all the flat screens and stuff like that and go and go and look at the target go and look at the walmart um I did field recordings there because I ended up using the audio nice. for a, a animation, um, and so it is based on those kind of real world experiences. But then there's this kind of scripting, uh, story writing, storytelling part um, where I'm imagining a fictional place that is kind of yeah that evokes the world I've lived in, uh, but then gives me that latitude to you know to have a little distance to do what I need to do to make the painting. Right. Do you um so when you're working, let's say in an image like that of like a store and there's people in there or or any sort of scene like that that in an animation that might be part of it, are you coming to the idea or the trip or the experience first and then thinking about how you might animate that and then taking stills from that or does it derive from the still image that you're choosing or is it kind of a mix of all that stuff? That's interesting. I how did I come up with that idea? You know, I uh, I think I originally uh, the Walmart piece. There's a one of the monitor one. It's a diptych, and the left side of the monitors uh, have the news playing, and you can see a headline about yeah. a school shooting. Um, and I had the idea that I uh, I wanted I imagined a small town in the Ozarks in Missouri, which was basically like where my grandmother lived, um, and that's where I, w- I would go in the summers. And I was imagining this town and there'd be a, where there was a shooting. There's actually a, there's a real town called Climax Springs, um, Missouri. (laughs) Pleasantly named. Yes. Um, but they're the, uh, from the research I was doing, their high school is the first, was the first in the country to basically arm their teachers. It was just this, it was like, oh my God, you know, it's just the bad ideas, um, but as a teacher, isn't that scary? The that's think of just our colleagues packing heat. Just <laughs> horrifying. Uh, so yeah. they were giving no, fire. There's no need to do that. They were giving firearms training and stuff like that to the the, the, uh. the high school teachers. So anyway, um, that was I was thinking about how ubiquitous shootings are in this country, and I was writing this in. Uh, I, I will start sort of thinking about a scenario and then I'll often kind of live in my head for a year or sometimes two years before I start fleshing it out more. And it's like it has to survive that incubation, that like brain time. Like if I just right, right. if I lose interest, then I then it's great. I didn't waste any time. I just thought about it for a little while. Um, so as I was thinking about the that scenario and I had this idea that there'd be like this town I could go back to that was a fiction um, and. Uh, sort of compositive experience and I could keep putting things in this town and and uh, I could have new characters with every animation or every painting um, but they would still be held together by the the context um, and when I thought of the shooting it became like a link between 
it was like shared experience that people had. Um, right. So I was thinking about places where you would like maybe that are not good places or like ideal places. When it, I don't know, but is there a, if there's an ideal place to hear about a shooting, but um, right. you know places where it would be, sort of jar you. So I had this idea that a character who worked at a Walmart would be just sort of in the middle of a kind of uh, just a very routine day and then is is kind of jarred out of it by, you know, 20 monitors announcing the shooting all simultaneously. Um, so I made and that one. I ended up making the animation about that character first. And then I spent another so many. I actually finished I, uh, I finished the animation in 2020 and. Uh, but I had everything got screw, screwy in terms of the timeline because that animation I sort of almost finished and then it sort of sat 95% done until I made the other two that relate to it and got, you know, I wanted them to all finish at the same time um, right. because they were meant to be seen together. Um, and while planning all of this, I made these huge drawings that are the, so there's a drawing that's the same size as that diptych. Um, so it's like 12, 12 feet wide pencil drawing. Um, and that was helping me like think about the places and all of that. So that was done in 2019. And then after the animation finished in 2020, I, I made these paintings last or this, this big diptych last spring. Um, that was a very roundabout way of answering your question. No, I, I like that. It, it's cool to hear that. And I totally get it because a lot of times people will ask me, you know, oh, do you do like a drawing, a collage, then a painting, then an animation. Like, is it this order? And it's never like, it's always this weird, random, circular, like this influenced that, and sometimes that starts this, and it's never just one direction. So it's nice to hear that you're probably doing a similar kind of like non-linear approach to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure at one point, well, maybe not, but you could possibly have done an animation and then there was an image in that that you just felt like, oh, that's got to be a still image mm-hmm. or vice versa. Like you're just thinking about a still image and it's just, you know, I, I, this needs like a narrative or it needs time introduced to it. You know, I think that's the, the beauty of working between the two is, you know, the still image gives you this really impactful kind of like you have to focus on what this moment is saying. And then the motion gives you time, energy, and then sound is a huge difference in the image when you add that element in. So it's kind of like nice. They both do two very different things, but they're very similar in a way too. Yeah, I think so. They just, uh, they let you kind of dig into the character, the content, the, you know, the, the formal stuff is so different. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, they're they're divergent in how they address time. And so the they, for me, they feel like, that's the spectrum of experience that I want the work to be able to encompass. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right that sometimes uh, painting comes out of the, uh, like I was thinking about the woman who works in the Walmart. I, I was thinking about the back of her head as she's looking at the monitors. And so I ended up doing a painting that's like very, very tight on uh, a tight close up on her hair, uh, yeah. kind of draping over the Walmart vest, just barely there at the bottom of the painting. And then the screens are just washed out. Um, you can't even tell what she's looking at. And it was just like this shift in focus that wouldn't work for the animation, but is like an un- like almost in, in inappropriately close, like you you know like right. to someone, but in a way that a painting can do, like a kind of intimacy that um, only her hairbrush really has, <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's cool is if you see that animation and you see that painting in the same show, it 
it almost puts you in the scene in a different way because you are closer to that person. You have a different kind of relationship to the image of that person. So it's almost like it places you in the scene without placing you in the scene. It's kind of a cool thing you could do by triangulating the viewer, a detail, and then motion. And through those, you kind of connect together. You link it all up in a weird way that's that you can't do with just painting, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that. Um, I've gotten... I've. Um, when I first started doing these bigger animation projects, I was, I think I was very deliberate about, okay, certain things can't happen in the painting because they're going to happen in the animation. So like I did a whole bunch of paintings that I had two shows with almost no figures in the, in the, uh, paintings. I sort of took them out. Um, and the idea that you kind of like interact with them in the animation, you'd walk out and it was almost like you walked into their living room. And they're they're just in the you know they're just off frame or something, um, because of the I don't know there was something about like being able to walk in, um, but now I've done I'm relaxed that a little bit and I'm doing more what you're talking about where you kind of you might interact with a character in the painting and then and then encounter them in the animation in a different way, and the yeah. the, the paintings are all like paintings do presence you know they like feel like the person is there in a way that animation is always going to the next thing um i mean you're like very acutely aware of it maybe more so than with film uh because people see the paint moving and they uh with my stuff and they think like oh that's they they think about the labor i which uh most animators i know don't aren't really preoccupied with labor but uh people the same people who ask you how long a painting takes i think are right, uh, right. you know they're they're like wow it's hard to make animation uh <laughs> yeah and, yeah and you're like no it's just it's it's totally you're totally hooked on it when you're doing it um yeah yeah cuz you're doing stop motion basically like you're doing frame by frame right yeah it's totally old school it's basically what um uh it's the same technique that someone like william kentridge or or caroline leaf uh, used um, where you just like you have something you photograph it you change it you photograph it you change it you photograph right. it and and then eventually it looks like it's moving yeah I went through a stretch of doing some uh, rotoscoped animations where I was just drawing over each frame but it was digitally and for me it just became so much about like the interpretation of it was so much about that labor that it was almost clouding the content in a way it was all about that so I I ended up tweaking it to where that's all you notice really is like the dynamics of the different drawings, which was cool. It was a good process, but I feel like in the, the regular animations that I'm doing, it's just, you know, it's all tweening and all it's, it's not this frame by frame thing. So it kind of people, it's funny because people don't really talk or think about how the work involved in it, but it's just as laborious. It's just a different kind of like animating labor. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. But I think if you don't see that step by step, it like people don't really think about it, you know? Yeah, it's it's true. Um, I don't know how you get around it. I think people just it um, hopefully they watch it. And I mean, I find animation just so magical. Like I just I love it is. Yeah, I love watching things move. I uh, I have a three year old. And so we have uh, every Friday and Saturday's movie night because we can't watch a whole movie at once because um, she's, right, right. she's three. So uh, we break it up over Friday and Saturday and we've been watching all of the uh, basically like every Miyazaki animation that's appropriate for a three year old we've watched. Right. Um, and we've watched some old Disney, although some of that's problematic. But um, the 
the craft of them, the just the actual movements are just so stunning. Um, I mean, my, uh, we, I mean, it's such a pleasure for my partner and I to watch because, uh, I mean, we're just looking at like beautiful color and amazing, right. uh, you know, thoughtful abstraction that is actually in the way that a lot of those figures and spaces are done. Um, and my daughter's having like a totally different experience. She's like, right. is, is that a ghost? Or like, it's a, <laughs> a ghost is a magical make-believe thing. But yes, that is a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fantasia was amazing when I was younger. I remember seeing that one and just being blown away, you know? Yeah. I mean, have you gotten, have you gotten into the woods with like, um, you know, uh, Egling and you know Hans Richter and an old sort of like surrealist animation where they were painting on film and stuff. A little bit, yeah. Um, mo- mostly uh, because I'm teaching it, so I give a little bit of the the history. Um, yeah. I think it's amazing. It's uh, uh, kind of it's like the it's like a very generous side of abstraction. Um, a, a lot of Definitely. those uh, kind of symphonic animations. Um, and they're so old. They're, it's always shocking. Uh, they, like they look twenty six. Yeah, they yeah, like they look so old. so fresh, but then they're like a hundred years old now, almost. Um, yeah. yeah, you're like, is that a scratch filter on top of that? Oh no, it was just done like uh, almost a hundred years ago. Yeah, and imagine someone seeing that stuff in the twenties. I mean, they must have been blown away. It's just like, what the hell is this stuff? You know? I I think that's maybe why they were able to get away with so much is because there there wasn't that there wasn't more than a hundred years of film history behind them right. saying you can and can't do certain things. So it was like, yeah, look definitely. at this cool magic show um, that we're able to do. And, and maybe the audience was prepared by having seen like vaudeville shows and shadow plays and, you know, all of the kind of like the stuff that predates cinema. Yeah. Like a zoetrope. Those things blow my mind. Man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Crazy looking. You know, it's just like you can't imagine that. Like, I'm sure the first person who ever saw that when they invented the thing or when it, you know, was not known in public consciousness and you see that, it just blows your mind. You just can't believe it. I don't even know how you figure it out. Um, but it's, yeah, the, it's just a, yeah, a complete agreement. Amazing things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah, and then I, when I started looking at that kind of like old abstract animation, I got, you know, the rabbit hole of like John Whitney and like looking at the, the stuff when like computers started to get introduced to it. It's like amazing. You know, it's, it's a really cool, rich visual kind of artistic history that I don't, that I don't know what it's like now, but I've never learned any of it. Like it was never in any, syllabi or any classes or anything like that in my existence it's cool that you're teaching that class you know i yeah. think more people would be into it in that context if they were just exposed to it more for sure yeah i, I keep thinking i mean if I, I i don't know if this happens for everybody who gets to like teach one elective it's like you you would do so much work for that one class that you start to feel like well i could just design a whole career i could just make an animation program at our school totally. you know yeah I, and it was so many <laughs> ideas but yeah one i mean uh the direct to film thing is a, such an interesting yeah. tradition of like you know doing the doing the drawings when you see people who i've shown them to students and they have such a hard time conceiving of it that like you know that vertical line might be like a 10 foot long drawn line and how there's this like, there's one dimension that you have like that it's huge. And the other dimension that is in millimeters. Um, and it's like the difference between nobody draws. I mean, who draws on a drawing that's 35 millimeters tall, but like 200 feet long a mile long. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So it's such a cool premise. Um, 
It really is, and I think it it mirrors the non-linearity of of our youth, you know, beautifully, because now everything's windows that are stacked up on each other. Like, a lot, I'm sure you know, like, the students don't think linearly, like, art history and stuff. It's not uh, intuitive to just go back in time of genres that lead up to other genres or whatever. They're just, like, it's all remixed and sampled and collaged, you know? I mean, maybe that's... in some ways it's a Go good ahead. I mean in some ways it's a good thing cuz it's like they're not having feeling the need to like uh they don't have that like Harold Bloom anxiety of influence thing um Totally. They're yeah, just yeah. it's all like fair game and interesting but it does make it hard for them it, it I feel like I have to teach context all the time like how to Definitely. how to figure out where things live in the world or that they do live in the world. Even the internet lives in the world <laughs> even though it seems right. to be like floating everywhere. Yeah, I think, yeah. did you draw as a kid on the uh, perforated computer paper? Uh, you know, yes, with like, of course. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you you know, my dad would just give me like a ream and it was like a never-ending, I would draw the ocean. I was in Missouri and I'd never been to the ocean, so I thought it was really cool to draw the ocean. And you could just yeah. keep drawing it. It was like, and then there's a right. wave, and then there's a wave, and then there's a surfer on a wave. And it was like, <laughs> it, it melded well with my like... Uh, you know, my Nintendo brain too of like, right. you know, it's yeah, like yeah. the side scrolling, uh, Mario brothers was totally everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to, I don't, I don't mean to simp oversimplify it, but I mean, you're kind of doing the same thing today. Oh yeah. I know. I, I'm <laughs> still, aren't I, we doing the same thing that like when we were a kid, I mean, that's the ideal I think yeah. is to be doing professionally or as a career or as a quote unquote grown up, just kind of what you wanted to do as a kid, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, no, for me it was uh, there were there was definitely a lot of video games, definitely a lot of role playing, uh, and uh, lots and lots of comic books. And so, yeah, no, I'm 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 definitely doing that. Yeah, well, that's something you can connect with really well with the students today, because I think manga, anime, cartoons, Marvel, and all that stuff is huge. Yeah, like it's such a powerful influence. I grew up; I was never into comic books. I mean we didn't really have them around. Like there wasn't a good store or anything. And I just was never really introduced to it. So I never got into comics or superheroes or any of that stuff, but I was into Bugs Bunny because that was on TV. Gotcha. You know, and like Mel Blanc was like my hero, you know, <laughs> but it's funny because I, I feel like that language is so ingrained in today's culture. You know what I mean? It's, it's the real escape I think for young people. Yeah, no, I, it, for sure. I think, uh, the other the other kind of thread of electives that I teach are these narrative courses that deal with elements of mythology and allegory and fairy tales and that those kinds of traditions um, and figuring out how to to use them so that they're they're not uh, reductive you know that they make yeah. that's what I loved about those kinds of comics and I I loved all the uh, old like universal monster movies. Uh, I wanted to be, I, uh, this is embarrassing. I wanted to be a werewolf, uh, when I was in grade school and there was a, sure. t- there was a TV show <laughs> called werewolf. Um, mm-hmm. and every time the full moon would come out, his, he, uh, a pentagram on his palm would sort of, which was a, like scar tissue would just start bleeding. So I would draw oh, that's dark. <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like in the third grade drawing bloody pentagrams on my palms and I'd be like, hi, I'm going to turn into a, you know, oh like very sincere. Um, I was also raised Catholic. So it was like probably some level of transgression that I was, uh, getting excited about. Um, right, right. Uh, but, uh, uh, 
figuring out how those uh, those immersive experiences that seemed so incredible could be non-reductive. You know, they'd, they'd actually be right. expansive. Is this thing that I'm always trying to get help help students find? Because um, there, yeah, I think there's the, a misapprehension that because it's fantasy, it has to be. Uh, it has to be there for like a simple symbolic reason or something like that. Yeah. Well, um, music is pretty big in Kansas City. What was it like growing up? Were you in? Were you a music fan? I was. Um, I didn't grow up going to many shows or anything like that because um, I was in the I was up north of the city in the suburbs and um, the, probably the best thing. Uh, there were two two really good things. Um, one was that I was in the uh, I was in orchestra from like grade school nice. on, uh, I played the cello and I ended up, uh, I, I got, I was like solidly okay at cello. I managed, I was like all state what, you know, my, my senior year, but I really loved it. And it, I feel like it, it taught me how to, how to take a thing and really, uh, like really, really focus on it and how it could like your whole life could be shaped around that thing. The practice of like, I need these days, this time to rehearse, and then I'm going to meet with these people, and we're going to work on this quartet, and then there's this group that I'm in, and we're going to play, and then I'm, you know, I'm going to drive to this other group that I'm in, and I was in all these different uh, orchestra groups, um, and it, 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 I mean, it's like this, the reason that we teach it to kids is it like teaches discipline and appreciation and all this stuff, and it really, it actually really worked on me, and I was like, no, it didn't actually do that. It's just it was too profound to seem planned. Um, but it was really amazing. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, I had a, my really good friend, Dan Majors, who's a poet and novelist. We're still, we grew up together. We're, we're still very close. Um, he, uh, he found this book, uh, called cult rockers that I don't know if he got it from the public library or what. Um, and we went through that book and we had cables so we could like watch like late night MTV and stuff like that. Um, So that's where we really like learned about things. And there was a uh, weirdly there was a Best Buy that had like a really I don't know if there was somebody working there. They had like really great like uh, post punk and like imports like German imports of the birthday party and like, you know, just like really cool stuff. Cuts. Yeah. Awesome (laughs) stuff that like I don't you couldn't get. Otherwise, you'd have to spend like 20 bucks on like on a CD um, but you'd get like, you know, this like fairly limited uh, uh, pressing of like, yeah, uh, I, they had the all, the all of the birthday party, which was my became my favorite band and was like at that time. Um, and it just didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard. But there was also this kind of literary component. And um, right. yeah, it was just, so there was a lot of there was a feeling that you had to like go searching and find the thing. Um, probably through books because we were knew we were not cool. Um, cool people could just like walk out into the world, it seemed, and and interact with greatness. But um, we were nerds, so we had to like <laughs> in, we had to be mediated through books to get to that thing. Like zines was, or was that kind of like before your time? No, there were definitely zines, but um, uh, that stuff that was like downtown stuff, and um, like there was right, there right. was actual cool record stores. Um, but we were way too shy to to go down and explore, um, at least not until later. I mean, I went to I ended up going to college in in Kansas City, so then I got to know. Um, yeah, the Art Institute, right? The Art Institute. And that what years there. were you there? Uh, ninety nine to 
2003. Okay. Yeah. I say it like a question. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what. <laughs> uh, everything I remember is a question. Like, uh, 98? Yeah, I can't, I can't <laughs> remember anything. Um, but did the cello stick? Are you still playing it once in a while, or do you still have one? Um, I... Uh, I, I want to get one again. Um, I do play music a lot, but I, uh, I just don't have the cello here. It was like an instrument that was, it was too big to move East in 2004 when I graduated or whatever, 2003. Um, so I, I, it's still sitting at my parents' house. Um, but I, I think I, I, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, st- took up the cello a few years ago. And so I've actually played her cello more recently. And it w- I was surprised that I still know how to, like, I can still read sheet music, b- bass clef sheet music and play yeah. it. Yeah. A little muscle memory. Yeah. A, a lot of that. So I was like, I think I should get this again. Cause it would also be great for, uh, it's such a awesome sound. And so being able to incorporate that into some of the animation scores would be I think I'd be really into definitely yeah it's funny when I I played saxophone and bass clarinet in high school and then I you know you put it down like I was in bands and played guitar and then in in grad school I was in a band that it was like a side band and we played sort of like a a sort of not authentic version of latin jazz and you know they were like oh you play saxophone let's do that you know and i picked it up and i was surprised that like i could actually still play the thing mm-hmm. even though i wasn't like keeping up with it really it's got a certain amount of muscle memory that goes into it but the band that i was in the the, the sort of first team band that i was in that recorded a couple of records we had a cellist oh cool yeah and she started in um one of the playing bass in one of the the most underground starting uh, all girl punk bands in San Francisco way back. Like, and there's like a book out about them and stuff, but, but yeah, it was like, you know, she went from cello to punk back to cello. That's <laughs> awesome. But no, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with the cello. I always, uh, uh, you know, I remembered in the, like when the Nirvana uh, unplugged performance came out or whatever, there was a cello yeah. and I was like, this is so cool. Um, Maybe at the time I thought it was not cool, but I was like, or maybe I was suspicious of it. Um, but <laughs> now I think it's cool. Um, yeah. And there's like, there's all kinds of cool experimental cello. Um, I like Arthur Russell a lot. His music oh, yeah, is yeah. great. We, we, one of our tours, we, um, we toured with another band that was, um, um, our cellist also played in their band too sometimes. So it was kind of like a, and we would always get put on bills with like the dirty three or, you know, like that kind of egg, anything that had a stringed instrument or some sort of element of orchestration to it, yeah. even though our music really wasn't like that was a little more jazzy than, than classically. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's funny like that, the instrument has such a, a presence, you know, and a specific kind of, um, feel to it that, and it was definitely the kind of thing where like people, when you break it out, when she would break it out, people were like, whoa, that's a cello on stage, you know, <laughs> yeah, and not sure. in some sort of orchestration thing, which mm-hmm. was fun. But it, for us, it was it was the music. It wasn't like an added member who came in and played a little bit of cello on top, which I think so many people do that sort of thing with strings, yeah, which is fine. But, you know, it was much more part of the, the music. But uh, so what are you listening to these days? I mean, is your is your taste eclectic or are you pretty much do you have a lane with music? 
Um, and do you listen? I mean, you said you were listening to books on tape and stuff in the studio, but do you ever rock out in there too? Sure. Um, yeah, I, it depends on what I'm doing. I, ha- I have a hard time listening to things with words when I'm uh, animating or when I'm doing anything that requires like thinking about what I'm painting instead of thinking about yeah. how I'm painting. So if I'm trying to like think if there's any of that scripting brain going on, like what object is this person holding or like what kind of shirt are they wearing or something like that? Um, because I work out of my imagination, I have to just, then I even have a hard time listening to music that's even up tempo. I'll put on like, um, Oh, I really like grouper or like my ambient brain or, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Juliana Barwick, uh, that album from, it wasn't last year's 2019 was really great. Um, uh, I like, uh, I like things that sound a little sad. Um, so I like, uh, uh, the Adrian Linker solo record from last year, um, and some of the big thief stuff. And I listen to a lot of Nick Cave. Um, he's, uh, He's probably my favorite. Um, some of my best, you know, my favorite, like in concert experiences, uh, were his stuff. Um, and then I listen to a lot of stuff that kind of makes me think about scoring, you know, scores for for animations. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of synthesizer stuff. Um, so yeah. like, I I like a lot of the. Uh, I won't necessarily remember everybody's name, but I like Alessandro Cortini, um, who does. He'll like choose one very vintage synthesizer and then just do a whole album just with the capabilities of that single instrument. Um, right. So I kind of, I like that. Um, I like Colin Stetson for kind of the, I like a lot of like classical crossover to soundtrack type stuff. Um, speaking of people like, uh, I think he's, is it a bass saxophone or something? I don't know the names of the, it's like the baritone, probably. whatever. Yeah. Whatever the lowest sax is. Yeah. Baritone. Um, but like circular breathing and, and really cool stuff. Um, oh, there's all kinds of things. I, I like to read when I'm, when I'm like trying to get calmed down to be in the studio, I'll, I'll just read like music reviews, album reviews. Um, yeah. Just to like clear my head. It's like, it's not art. It's not the news. It's this kind of this other thing. And then it settles me down. Um, so yeah. And now with Spotify, it's just like things are constantly, you know, uh, it's actually, I mean, I'm probably weird because I'll listen to the same thing every single day for, for like three or four months. Um, yeah. and, uh, I don't think most people do that using that, using streaming. Um, but I still, I miss, I like albums. So, um, right. um, yeah, who was it? I was just, um, oh, I was listening yesterday. I was listening to the mountain goats in the studio. They're kind of, they can be kind of corny, but, um, I like the stripped down mountain goat stuff. Uh, the, the storytelling is uh, is good kind of stuff. Yeah, I like. definitely. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, you know, Spotify kind of exploded it out for everyone, but I find myself making a playlist and listening to that playlist a lot, you know, like I'll just get in almost as if it's an album, like I'm curating mm-hmm. it. It's almost like a mixtape and I'll just play the heck out of it. And I just feel like, Oh, this is a good dynamic for whatever I'm doing at the moment. And I'll listen to that like crazy, but it's just for me, it's like kid in a candy shop. I mean, I listen to yeah. pretty much every kind of music known to man. So there's mm-hmm. just so much on there. I feel guilty because it's like, I got to take advantage of all this stuff. <laughs> I have that Napster brain. Uh huh. Yeah. Like, cause it, whenever I first, uh, I don't know, it was a few years after I moved to New York, 
I remember uh, finding Audio Galaxy, which was this, it was like Nap before Napster, but you could just basically download, it was a server, you could mm-hmm. download everything, and everything was on there. Yeah. And I was just, it was like a kid in a candy shop, I was downloading things, but I would just listen, stream a lot of them too, off of the file, and not download it. And then one day it just, they shut it down, and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it was so sad. Like yeah. we never foresaw like Apple music or things like that to where remember when you used to have to pay for a song like one dollar a song yeah it, before they made the streaming services so it was a it was a crusher but yeah it's just so much to listen to it's really great yeah for sure I still have a hard drive somewhere with like a hundred gigabytes of downloaded music on it and it's like I can't yeah. I'm not gonna I might need it I'm not gonna delete it <laughs> right right <laughs> hold on well I have a giant box of CDs like that or yeah. like a few of them yeah. And like, I doubt I'm ever going to play those again, but I can't throw them out. I can't, some recycle, of, you know, some of those were so hard to find. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. And I, I have, uh, I have a modest vinyl collection, um, that, uh, that just lives in our living room right now. It, it's, uh, I'm a little fra- afraid to put them on with a three-year-old dancing around because it's, I just hear, I can hear the record scratch as she pirouettes <laughs> into the turntable, but uh, Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. That's a risk, I guess. Well, you got a couple more years, and you'll be in a safe spot, ideally. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I just move it into the studio. Uh, not that she doesn't come into the studio, but um, it's a safer bet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, um, this can you talk a little bit about the show at Zercher, like the one that you just mounted recently? Sure. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's a little unusual in just my recent years uh, because there isn't an animation in it, um, even though it's it's kind of coming from that same world for me. Um, but a, a couple of years ago, I stopped. I had been animating directly on the canvases. Um, and so I would right. do like a seven foot painting and I'd animate on it. And then that would be I'd show both the painting and the animation. And uh, I, I separated the two processes and it really like got me excited to think about what painting could do and when it's not when it doesn't have to multitask um right and uh and it was so such a pleasure and it also happened you know it corresponded with me becoming a dad and and needing to restructure my time um and then the pandemic happened and that required another, oh that yeah yeah that restructuring <laughs> had to happen so uh all of that went into why you know why the show or sort of how the show is shaped and and maybe the emphasis on uh on painting and on and and why the characters are so prevalent um but i was i i've been working with uh kind of working class white america midwestern america and a lot of uh at various moments in recent years i mean it comes from my family um background and um I was, I've always been interested in the way that, that uh, a job is, a, is like how you define yourself, um, which is weird because I'm an artist who, and this is like my, you know, it's really what I do, but I, I'm a teacher. Like the, te- you know, that's, so it's. That's it, the profession. Quote it's unquote. the profession. So it's funny to, that I have that built in and then I did this other thing. Maybe that's why I always feel like I'm playing hooky when I go to the studio, um, right. <laughs> which is kind of a fun, maybe that's a good feeling. Maybe that's a feeling of like freedom that comes with the studio breaking the rules yeah um but anyway i was thinking about you know how many all all the people uh out of work and specifically like i was i was thinking about this idea of like 
being put on pause or on furlough where uh, it's like you can't even collect unemployment. It's like you're not even unemployed. You're you're like you're just you just can't go to work. And so there, and I, it, I was relating to that. I think we all maybe were, were relating to that this year of being in a kind of uncomfortable stasis. Um, and uh, so I wanted, yeah, that was kind of the, the initial site out of which like the paintings were coming. Um, and I also, uh, uh, I had a show last year and it, and when I, uh, at MNB gallery in LA and I was, uh, there were these men that started appearing in the work. And part of it was like thinking at the time I was thinking about fathers and sons, um, and maybe my own everybody I don't know if maybe not everybody has a complicated relationship to their father um but uh uh probably <laughs> probably you know a mo- good share <laughs> the, whenever I meet people and they seem just like to have such a un- unencumbered relationship with their parents I'm, I'm just like how did your parents must be geniuses of like, <laughs> like parenting or something that that worked out right um but anyway, so I was thinking about fathers and sons and things like that, and then looking at white working class men, baby boomer men, um, in the midst of Trump and you know the year we've gone through and the years preceding, um, it just became very complicated uh, territory to try to paint, and and so I was excited by that that it, that it, um, I could I could paint these situations that that. Uh, had a lot of valencies of experience going on all at once. Um, and so the show started emerging first with these male characters who are uh, furloughed. I was, I was picturing like a work crew, like a road crew who, um, uh, were, you know, we're all furloughed and then like go to down to the, the water to like drink a bunch of high life um, in, in, right. in the bed of a pickup truck. And, uh, uh, as the show evolved, I, I started kind of expanding out from this central moment um, and uh, brought in more characters and uh, kind of eventually arriving at uh, uh, back at the Walmart. This uh, this character, Janet, who um, it's one of the only there are two paintings in the show that had masks in them in some way. And this one is the only one where someone's actually wearing a mask. It felt it felt weird to. Uh, to paint direct signifiers of the pandemic. It was like, I don't know. I didn't, I don't know if other people have felt this, but it's like, makes it so real. Um, Right. It's like now, now it's in the record. Now it's like in my work. Um, But uh, I finally came around to it. And it was because I was thinking about like these men who were out of work and then who has to support the family. Um, and uh, my mother supported my family while we were when we were growing up. Um, she was the primary breadwinner. Um, uh, my father always worked and most of the time worked, uh, but he she has a more advanced college degree, and so yeah. um, you know she's a physical therapist and and you know has would support us. And then she would come home and cook dinner and do. I mean, she was uh, uh, extremely hardworking. Is an extremely hardworking person. Um, uh, so I was thinking about a character who would like maybe she's going back into the workforce to do something like being a cashier, which is a position that uh, maybe the 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 men in this in the narrative might feel was like beneath them or something like that, even though it was right. you know work that needs to needed to be done uh, to support the family. So um, anyway, those were those were two of the kind of polarities that that emerged. Um, 
and at the same time there is a uh there are a few paintings that are kind of closer. To, there's a character who resembles me somewhat uh, with his uh, infant daughter. And I was trying to think about a different kind of patrilineage. Um, and that, I don't know, maybe that's part of where there, there are hopeful notes in uh, in the show. People talk about it on very, they're like, oh, look at all these sad people. Um, it's grim. These yeah. grim, depressed people. <laughs> but to me, to me, there are these hopeful moments um, in in the way that things are painted, um, but also in like uh, the idea of a, a young father with his with his kid trying to trying to do things differently. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the work is really great, and it reads that like it's funny because um, I've seen there's been you know people writing about the work, and I I've read a little bit, but I've really kind of enjoyed bringing my interpretation to those images. And I think it's a really strong part of the work is that you immediately just start to create the story in your brain, even though you've created your own story with it. That's probably much more specific, you know, and the people have names and all that. Just looking at those images, you can kind of create that story. And, you know, it's funny I, thinking about it because I grew up in Pittsburgh, blue collar working class, but in the city, and so I can kind of historically relate to some of that kind of imagery or the feeling of that. But I've lived in New York so long that it seems very foreign and distant in a way, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And But you catch it like we couldn't help with, with the election cycle and stuff of catching this, yeah. you know, divide in our country between, you know, the sort of like the, the map, the political map or the sort of urban versus the rural and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it's a really kind of charged Although it seems like just that change in leadership seems to have like, I mean, I know it's still there, but it it, it feels like it's been put on the back, but like it's not boiling over, you know, well, it's amazing how one kind of rhetoric like that can really just stoke the fire, you know? Yeah, that was, that was the word I was going to use. Um, and obviously we saw Trump do exactly that, like incite an insurgency just yeah. with, with language. Um, but, but he's pushing on, uh, buttons that are that are there, and I th- I think it's um, I'm, I mean I'm glad people are talking about. It. I know we're all like we're we're about as burned out and fatigued with the kind of Trumpisms uh, as we could be, um, but I I I'm glad people are still trying to uh, to take note because it's not gone away. If just you know right. just because Biden is uh, bringing some semblance of uh, just at least just people being slightly polite <laughs> civility <laughs> just yeah. a little bit of civility um right but I, I you know that i don't want that to like wash over the there's so many problems um yeah anyway well one can hope the change is is coming you know it's this slow gradual painfully slow change but that it's happening i guess I don't know. It's it, yeah. but it is nice to not have to like read and hear about it every single moment. You know, that I think that does getting him getting him off of consciousness. Getting him off of Twitter was like <laughs> just, just huge the, thing. Just the yes. best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even on Twitter and it was offensive to me like just hearing about the activity. Well, it's, <laughs> it's like it, no one should be on Twitter that much. Isn't even it, like Jack Dorsey should. <laughs> isn't it weird to like go? I would go on the New York Times and there would be like a little inset. You know, they do the inset window with the, the tweets. T- with the tweets. Yeah, uh, and it's like, 
Wait, now I'm on. Tw- I, I just eventually just got on Twitter, but uh, I was like, why do I? Why is this? Ah, it worked. You got hooked. I, I don't. I'm not hooked on that one as much. I managed to. I can look away. I'm. That's good. Yeah, I can just. That's good. Yeah, yeah. What are you working on now? Now that you've met, do you take a break? Are you are you doing animation or I, what, what's the what's the path moving forward short term here? Yeah, I'm. I um I love being in the middle of work. So it, I mean, it's just yeah. it's I'm never happier than that. I'm I'm the person who brings paint on vacation. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, Much to the family chagrin. <laughs> I've got what I've done is I've gotten everyone little paint kits, and we all go. We go hiking and we like paint together. Um, oh, look at you! So You've converted the the family totally. Nice. Yeah, my no, my daughter loves painting. She's got her own paint clothes that are like smeared with paint, and she comes in the studio nice. and she has her own brushes, her own uh, non toxic paints, and we do stuff like that all the time. Um, no, I've got uh, you know the the animation projects since they kind of cook for so long. Um, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to coming back to some of those. Uh, there's one that is a really it's become kind of a long term project uh, because I I writ, I've written a scenario that uh, seems to require an a, like a, a an immense amount of animating to complete um, because I uh, I had the idea that there would be uh, I wanted it, I wanted a, a, an animation to have a structure like a choose your own adventure, but instead of someone choosing, it's like an algorithm picks, and it's just it's like right. roll of the dice, bad luck that day, good luck that day, um, and and in real time in the gallery that it will that it, the story will evolve, and so the loop will never be the same, uh, or infrequently be the same, and so I right. I haven't I forgot what the math equation is to solve for. Um, permutations like that um, so I don't know how many different storylines that it will generate but it's uh, it's probably in the four digit number uh, so I've written this uh, kind of unusual script where it's like at every plot point I've broken it into a certain number of points and at each plot point there's like five to ten options um, and so now I'm going through and trying to animate all of those and I, I've been working on it for a few years Um Last summer, I animated about four minutes of footage, and I'm just i've I've given myself a loose deadline of like one year from now I should be trying to finish it. Um, but nice. who who really knows? Um, and then I'm making making some new paintings. Um, i I started thinking about uh, uh, some of the kids of the people that I've painted in this recent show. Um, and so I've been doing some big figure compositions with uh one is in progress with a bunch of kids waiting to be picked up at a public pool and they're all just giving you the like the teenager like i don't like just just the the teenage dead eye like you know like what do i know that i i find teenagers (laughs) very intimidating uh don't tell them uh but (laughs) it brings back all the like memories of being bullied as a as a kid um but anyway so i'm painting uh some kids waiting to get picked up at a pool. I'm painting some kids jumping on a trampoline. It's like one of those backyard trampolines with the netting yeah, yeah. all around the it. Little, um, little uh, death trap. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I'm just thinking, of, I'm just trying to like explore that context a little more uh, because the paintings that are in the show are all pretty, they're all new. A lot of them are from this year even. So it, that still yeah. feels like very exciting 
and and fresh, fresh to me. Yeah. And then I I just did an interview. I don't know what it's going to turn into, but I uh, whether it's an it will be an animation or just make me think of fictionalized paintings or or what. But uh, I interviewed uh, my mother um, who is still she's in her seventies, but she's still working. And throughout the pandemic, uh, she works in geriatric physical therapy. So throughout the pandemic, she was working with uh, elderly patients in a nursing home. And then that nursing home became the nursing home where the kind of the corporation of nursing homes would send COVID patients. So then my mother became the primary physical therapist for COVID positive elderly people in the north northern Kansas City. And... Uh, and she worked with them all through until January. And the day before she was supposed to get her vaccine shot, she tested positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she had COVID and it wasn't a very severe case. I mean, she still doesn't quite have her sense of taste back, but um, she uh, uh, recovered. She was just very tired. But uh, then my father got it. They still they're together. Um, and he's a lung cancer survivor, so he's he's also in his seventies. Um, they're both lifetime smokers, so they're just like very high risk. And then he did okay, and so it was like the best possible scenario for getting COVID as a seventy-year-old right, ex-smoker. Right. Um, and then two weeks later, she went back to work um, because oh my because of who she is. So I I did this hour-long interview with her that I'm going to, going to edit. Um, I had the idea that maybe it would be like a kind of documentary animation. Um, but I haven't really figured out what it would be. This, the story is so interesting that I, I feel I'm glad I got it down. And I, and I also wanted to talk to her about her, her kind of lifetime of service, you know, of like thinking like she could be, she's at the end of her career. She could have at several points become an administrator and made more money and, and all of that. But um, she always was very insistent that she worked directly with patients and, um, you know, she wanted to see that, that improvement from, uh, especially with elder care, you know, somebody comes in and it, it's like their, their ability to get better is limited. Um, Definitely. and yeah. that just seems, it seems like one of the hardest career paths in healthcare. Um, but she has this, uh, yeah, this dedication to, um, to helping people and I, it's it's always been I've always really admired it she's also very devoutly religious and I, I was interested in the way those things went together um, right because there definitely is like uh, in in my work there's definitely a kind of there is a subtle Catholic thread um, I mean it's yeah. in the history of painting so you paint the <laughs> right, figure right. Uh, on canvas with a certain you know you got some glazes or something it's like you're you get a little Catholic um, but yeah. it's also in it's in some of the uh, the light and um, maybe even the humanism. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a lot of negative things to say about the, about Catholicism, but the pictorial tradition is so rich and there was such a uh, often be, there became a kind of celebration of people who didn't have a lot. Um, and I, I, I feel a, a connection to that. I look forward to seeing that. Sounds like it's going to be a good project. We'll see. I hope it doesn't just, fizzle out because I can't figure out how to sometimes things are so much a thing already that it's really hard to know what to do with them yeah yeah I know what you mean that'll happen <laughs> <laughs> well um it was great to meet and great to talk love the work and it's uh it, it, the show is amazing so 
congratulations on that and uh and people can just find you on your website and instagram is that the best places yeah for sure um yeah my my website's just my name and then um the, they can see images of the show at uh Zersher gallery uh their website um and i also have a show in london right now uh at mother's tank station who's uh newly representing me so i'm very excited about that um, nice and that's a show You've that been busy. I have been I have been busy. Uh, it's all it's all I know how to do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'll join you on that one. Yeah, it's you know it it feels good to be able to work. You know, to, yeah, to it, make things. No, I feel very. Uh, I uh, I'm so grateful that I get to do this. I mean, it's such a cool. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm sure you feel that too. Definitely, a hundred percent. Well, great to meet you, man. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me on. Recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. Many thanks to Lullatone for the intro outro music, Michael Lovett for the introduction, Golden Artist Colors for their sponsorship, and our new sponsor, Fulcrum Coffee. Check out their website. If you type in Alfred Studio as a promo code on the checkout, you get 20% off. And if you're a fan of coffee like I am, I mean, it's my one vice, the thing that just keeps me going. Morning, noon, and night. Uh, this coffee will not disappoint. Trust me, it's really great stuff. So, Fulcrum Coffee Roasters, check them out at fulcrumcoffee.com. Order some coffee, enter that promo code Alfred Studio, and you get 20% off. You won't be disappointed. Uh, many thanks to you for listening. If you can, go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, or share it with a friend. And um, we've got some pretty great podcasts coming up. So uh, make sure you stay tuned. Keep listening. Keep making art and music. Keep wearing your mask, too, for a little while. Until things are all, you know, cleared up. I've been double vaxxed for weeks. Weeks and weeks and weeks. I'm still wearing that mask. Just to be safe.